Yeah, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. No, thanks. Well, I'll well, shut so I'll let studio. I'll leave the way. Thanks. There were things I could do. Don't go with a boy or two. Not that I care what people say. Just don't feel myself today. Yep, let's do excuse me. That's a, an apt beginning, considering we're gonna what we're gonna talk about in a second. <laughs> um, but first, I'm gonna read a little bit about you. Okay. Hello, my name is Bill Ryder Jones, and you are listening to Q Presents The Making Of. Hello, listener, and welcome to another instalment of Q Presents The Making Of the podcast that goes deep into the lives of the great music makers of our time. My name is Niall Doherty, and our guest this week is Bill Ryder-Jones. Bill first emerged in the early noughties as the guitarist and founding member of psychedelic indie rock rabble The Coral. He departed the group in 2008, and a few years later began what has become a critically acclaimed solo career. Over six albums, Bill's music has taken in sweetly melodic lo-fi, folk, orchestral instrumentals, and sparse balladry. In a Q feature last year, the late great writer David Kavanagh described Bill's life and work as expressing the inexpressible. It's an apt description. His songs tackle the big issues with a delicate lightness of touch. Tracks about mental health, tragedy, hope, romance and regret. The things that make the world go round. Bill joins us here today in our Camden studio. Hello Bill, how are you? Hi Niall, yes I'm, I'm well, I'm well and thank you for that. It was very nice. Is that okay? Yeah, it was lovely. Nice mention for David as well. I really, really liked that guy. Yeah, he yeah. wrote an excellent feature. Yeah, it's one of the one of the few things I've ever read about me that um, that seemed that I enjoyed reading. You know. Yeah, it was a good one. And it's all up online. If if listeners want to read it, it's on cuethemusic dot com. It was an excellent feature right. that wrote about um, your youth, your life in the coral, your life as a solo artist. Do you, do you think back on all of it? And I mean, it's, it, must, it must be weird reading about yourself. In that point, it's like eight pages that summed up your life. Yeah. Um, well, I think what I liked about that is is how wonderful a writer David was. And um, this whole thing that we do is so full of part truths. And he was... He knew that and 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 wrote in a, in a very um very beautiful way. That was that was why I liked it, not necessarily because of the, it the being about me, yeah. but the fact that it was about me. And he, he, you know, he came up to my house and um we had a nice day. And shared a few emails afterwards, and I just thought, um, and then obviously after his passing, it became all the more romantic, and you know. Um, but yeah, it can be quite strange, and particularly that article. I remember um, I, I started seeing a girl not long ago, uh, not long after it came out, and she kind of mentioned that her mother had Googled me. Right. And this is <laughs> this, <laughs> this chat, this this little bit about how I make my tattoos, which as as you read it on the page. 
It's pretty stark. No mother wants, <laughs> wants that, you know. Um, needless to say, that didn't that didn't last too long. That Do you find yourself often <laughs> confronted with stuff people have read about you? Is that a, is that a weird way of living? Um, when so much of you is out there, it's not. You know, I don't think people people pay more attention to the to, to the lyrics. I think that's the that's the listener's direct line. I don't think. Um, I, I get I get comments from people who um, are already invested in half a conversation they've they've had with me because of with, music. without without my presence. So sometimes it can be quite strange um, being confronted with someone who's got their side of the conversation to to give you yeah. whether you want it or not or are prepared for it or not. Um, uh, but but it 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 rarely happens in person. Maybe after shows, right? If it's if it's on online, it's you can quite easily just um, ignore it or say, "Oh, thanks, I'm not a therapist." You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, with the best, you know, love for you. Uh, go and get help from someone who can help you, kind of thing. But yeah, in, in person, it can be quite. Were you surprised that, that, that your music prompted that sort of connection that people feel to it? I was surprised at the level with the regularity, regularity of it. I knew when it was very early on, it was only my second record, I had no expectation. Um, I had no desire for his solo career, inverted commas. Right. Um, after I'd left the band and was trying to re-enter music with the first record in a way that would keep me f- away from from talking and, and, and being someone who, I, who had to do these things without yeah. offence. <laughs> and I'm comfortable with it now, but that was the idea back then. And, um, and it was quite early on after the second record where people started to, to get in touch and... I always got the sense that that may happen because of the nature of the songs. But then, as your career builds, and it, you know, as does um, the audience's relationship with you. And, um, but yeah, it was, it's, yeah, it's sometimes you do have to, not, I wouldn't say pinch yourself, but sometimes it does feel very strange. You know, I think. Was there an artist that you had that connection with when you were younger? Oh yeah, but it was a, Simpler time, you couldn't reach out to them. Yeah, at three o'clock in the morning, when you're Leamington Spa or well, something. Well, I I have sent Eros Childs a Christmas card for the last seven years. Um, he has replied once. Um, <laughs> but when I was kind of sixteen, the people that I loved or associated with were guitarists and not necessarily singers. Right, and I, I would have had. The, had I had the chance to speak to people like Nick McCabe um, from The Verve or Will Sargent from Aqua and the Bunnymen, um, I'm not sure I would have wanted from them the things that I suspect people want when they when they reach out to me. Yeah. Because they would, I enjoyed them for their silence. I, I, music speaks to me very, very simply, and I. Um, I think now with this whole thing where I'm anyone who likes me really 
is on the other end of my phone and I theirs. And that introduces, I feel like that introduces this, this, um, I can't find the right word for it. This, this, I think there's an ownership thing now between people who listen to music and people who make music. If, if you shun, if you shun that connection, then you are therefore too big. You know, yeah. you know. In, 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 in someone could could say, "Oh, you know, you, you don't care about your fans." And Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? I preferred the time when you didn't know what your favorite artists had for breakfast and you didn't get to see their vanity on the day to day yeah i know I, I get sucked into instagram just just the same as everyone else you know i kind of berate myself quite often because sometimes sometimes someone takes a really good photo of me in good lighting yeah and i'm like yeah you know i'm single I'll, I'll bang that up online and, you know what i mean and then i'd do the same if one day someone takes a good photo of me <laughs> well well, <laughs> my point, my point being, um, I kind of resent myself for it because that's not, has nothing to do with, with what I do. You know, well, vanity has everything to do with what I do, but I don't. I'd rather have the enigma that the artists that I used to, you know, when I was sixteen and discovering the Lars, say, or Shaq. Yeah. Me and my my friends from the band. We we get to go to record fairs in New Brighton in, and in Liverpool and try and find cassettes of live recordings. And the thrill of that, you know, of someone recording a Lars gig from 1991 and finding it and owning it and having it and no one else having it was such a... It was such magic. Yeah, and, and I, I suppose you were a band growing up in an area of groups who sort of set the standard for being enigmas. Well, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. You think about the Bunny Men and Teardrop Explodes, and I think it's more, it's more, you know, even even you know, like Joy Division, any, anyone from kind of pre the noughties was had had an enigma that you just can't have anymore. You know, maybe cigarettes after sex do that. You know, yeah. they don't really make videos. There's not a hell of a lot of, but even then, you can. I sound like such such a misery. Like I still I go on YouTube and look for videos of you know the Pale Fountains playing live if I can find them. Yeah. But I just um, I do I do miss um, the anonymity that, that that came from pre-internet days. Like I remember when our library in West Kirby got the internet, and me and James went and downloaded. We had a folder on the Lars right. of every every interview we could find, you know. And that was that was uh, so. Again, you know, there's the flip side of it. You know. What did it feel like at that point? Sort of being a young band. I mean, what were the coral do? The coral formed at that point. Yeah, I would have been like thirteen, fourteen. Uh, what was your question? What was it like? Yeah, what was? I mean, did you, could you tell that there was something exciting? Even at a young age, there was something exciting happening between you. Um, no, I mean, no, it felt, it was more, for me, it was more like being welcomed into a, like a brotherhood, something I hadn't experienced. Um, musically, 
And when I enjoyed it, I saw no. I'd, I, obviously James had the vision and, and Nick, who was incredibly important, may have, may or may not have had conversations about how we were going to get to where we were going to be. But certainly for me at the time, it was just hanging out with your, your mate, smoking pot, and you know, that was literally it. And then when, when I was sixteen. And all the interest started. I still was like, "This is bizarre," you know. Yeah. I thought we were great. I would have loved us, but I saw it. I remember at the time it was kind of Travis and you know Coldplay, I think, and those kind of that was what. what but that's also why. Well, that is why. Right. That's exactly why we were we were so needed at that point. Um. And the strokes came and ruined everything. <laughs> I remember you sort of being um, almost characterised as like a wonder kid on guitar. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I didn't go down too well with the rest of the lads. <laughs> Tension started around that time. Right. <laughs> I mean, what would... Um, Excuse me. What would you then say about you now in terms of now you've, you've sort of um, carved out because it, it is officially a solo career as you know as a singer songwriter yeah well it's a career i mean i just happen to be on my own you know um you wouldn't um what did you say sorry i have to, i should say i'm very jet lagged and That's still okay. uh, just blame it on my questions no, your your questions are um are could you have imagined? Don't could, worry about it. <laughs> <Always>. <laughs> I'm I operate I operate at a solid three out of five. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I'm sure I can drag you down could, to a two today. <laughs> could you have imagined being a, a solo singer songwriter at that point? No, you you no, are a, no. are a great guitarist. Thank you. And seem to revel in that. Um, you know, you talked about your guitar heroes being that sort of the silent force at the side of the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Could you have ever imagined you would be the guy in the middle at that point? No, and I absolutely never wanted that. And it was only in the last couple of years that I've actually found com some level of comfort in that. You know, I think I never wanted it in the coral. If if when I was if when I'd left the band and I'd been told that in ten years' time you'll have five six records where you've been the singer. Um. Firstly, it would have scared the life out of me, and secondly, I would have thought you were you, you were mad, you know. Um, things just happen, don't they? And you and you you get used to it, I guess. But I mean, you've gone to the singer in terms of the extreme. You've got these beautiful hushed songs, which I think takes a lot more steeliness than being in a a band where there's loads happening and you can sort of bury your voice. You know, yeah. a lot of your songs move at a slow pace, which I think takes a lot of balls. But you don't. I don't think it works like that. I think that's that's one of those things that only a journalist can think about things in those those terms. You write if, as, and that's not meant to cause offence. That's just for people who aren't musicians have to look back at the process and why why people do things a certain way. And yes, that makes sense. I can see how that would make sense to you. Um, to me, standing up on stage. And going, come on, let's have it. It would be the most foreign and ugly thing I could 
you know, and the most embarrassing and the most awful thing I could do. So when I started writing, so the easiest way to think about it is if any of my songs that anyone's ever heard, you know, 90% of them will have been written certainly either in my bedroom, in my boxer shorts yeah. at 10 o'clock at night or later or in my mother's house on her piano uh, in full attire. Good, good, good to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> when you're writing, if that's why you write, then that's how the songs will will be. You know, you can probably tell by how slow I am at talking and finding words that, that there isn't really an alternative to... to um, yeah, I guess maybe I'm I'm not a very it's 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 not a it's not a comfortable experience for me um talking and singing is is not a comfortable experience either. So that's why if you listen to the records I very rarely sing like a singer. I just kind of speak in tune. Yeah. And, and draw out the words probably only twice as long as I would if I was talking, you know. In fact, I did a session recently where the um, the guy I'm I'm performing for on on this 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 piece of music I'm singing on for him asked me to repeat the last line. He's like, "Hush and elongate the words," and I'm going, uh, and that's like. That's my range. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, mean? like, I don't have like four octaves, or you know, I've I've got the lungs of a asthmatic child from the eighteen hundreds who works in a chimney. You know, I, I, I uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not 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 a classic singer in that respect. I think that's and it's it's certainly more to do with that than any any um, awful phrase balls. You know, that's not I'm not trying to be. Um, naked for people um, musically for, for, for any reason other than that's it's the only way I, I can kind of express it or perform it you know. Are there any topics that you veer away from writing about? So a lot of your songs so candid and we've talked about the connection that fans have with them <clears throat> do you ever regret putting yourself out there so much or No I have no regrets, there's nothing I write there's nothing that I've written there's one song that I hate that I wish had never come out but it's not because it's not it's not because of the, the lyrical content or it's just because I don't like the song. Right. Um there's things that I mean I only on my last record um hinted at, at my sexuality. That's something that I've always just not felt the need to mention. Um still don't really feel like I need to elaborate on it. Um I, with say for example with West Kirby County Primary there were there were things that I wouldn't talk about because that record was designed to be very narrative right. so like a song like Daniel was there was not meant to be any clever imagery or, or subversion or you know it was just this is what happened but I'm going to wrap it up in quite a nice way Yeah. whereas with Yawn um, there were things that I could I could tackle because I because I decided it wasn't gonna it, it was gonna be more of a um, a loose 
narrative. So I didn't mind exploring sexuality. I didn't mind um, at times referencing my, my my history with drugs and alcohol and and um, and the shame and all that. You know, those, I think, and that that was really liberating. Feeling like you don't have to just um, tell people exactly what's going on. Yeah, and that, that makes it more. I probably become more aware that what I do. Um, I was always reticent to think of what I do, even in even saying what I do. Yeah, places like this importance on it that it, people may feel like that that I commit to. I, I've never have done that. I've never really felt what I do is of any more worth than the kind of anything. It's just I, I just like it, kind of thing. I'm lucky enough to do it. Whereas now, with um, now I've found this feedback loop of writing about things and then people responding to it. Now I'm in the position where I don't feel the need to to um, to sorry, someone behind me is sighing, so I, I know I'm <laughs> going on too much. It was my a stomach. Oh it was a, I was just trying to lighten things <laughs> up. And I was like, I was trying to breathe. Sorry. I'm joking. Sorry, I have, I have a <laughs> terrible knack of trying to no, put jokes in between, in between no, 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 no. anything that gets too serious. Yeah. But please, please, don't do it again. <laughs> That's oh. why we made you he- wear headphones so you can't hear Sue saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm, I'm, um, my guts are bubbles too. Yeah. So I think um, the beauty of what I'm doing now is that I, c- I can. I can talk about things in a way that, that is never going to exclude anyone who hasn't had the exact same experience, and and it's a it's a more challenging way of writing, um, not having to shove something down someone's throat, being able to just yeah lean in, you know let let someone lean into what they think the song is is about, and and that's and that's probably got nothing to do with the question you asked, but that's. Uh, that's the answer. I mean, Yawn feels a, a lot more like a, or felt a lot more like a snapshot of you now compared to yeah. before you'd been, you know, you'd done a lot of sort of reflective <clears throat> songs taken in your past. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, West Kirby was kind of half and half. I thought, like, <laughs> taken aside If, which was the ramblings of a madman. Um, we'll come to that. <laughs> that's, I'm sure I'll come to it again. Um Second record was very much child based, and West Kirby was kind of half and half. You know, it was it was about well, it was named after my primary school, but also a lot of the songs were about how I felt my childhood had affected, or it informed the, the decisions and the actions that I was taking around that time. Yeah, Yawn certainly is is more about is about um, not. Probably, probably as much about the pride at having not been defeated by any of the things I've ever seen or written about. Um, but yeah, it's very much more just nothing more than musings, you know, little thoughts that you have, and you know, none of the songs are really um, that important. You know, they're just little things. In terms of that track about sexuality, though, I've seen in either interviews or online, people have really responded to that. Yeah, I got got a lot of messages about that. Yeah, it's nice. Um, the one message that I was waiting f- 
from and ha- thankfully hasn't come is from the people of from Greece who I stole the, the song from. Really? <laughs> I just thought it was such a wonderful thing. You know, Rizzo in Greece is my favourite character. I love musicals and I love Greece. And she... So films made in the 80s set in what set in the 50s 40s something so, like yeah. that you know and for and what a message for women today to say there are worse things I can do than go but than go with a boy or two even though the neighborhood thinks I'm trashy I'm no good um I, I just thought that was that was a wonderful what a wonderfully written lyric and is this going to bring your whole empire down now that you've admitted you've stolen it from Greece? No, I've been very open about that. I you know, that's, um, it's only two lines, you know. Um, you look like someone who's stolen a couple of lines in your life. What, from other better writers? <laughs> I mean, but again, that's not something... I, I don't have a classification for, for, for who I am, but I just felt every... Or, or the way I am or who I want to sleep with or who I want to fall in love with um, and in, you know in truth I, I wouldn't class myself as, as bisexual or or heterosexual you know it's not something I really think about greatly but I realised that if i tell you what it was I, I really loved RuPaul's Drag Race and I, it was more it was more about I was more trying to speak for for young men who may may be that way inclined, whether I am or not. The fact that I do have those inclinations makes me feel like I'm not shit trying to cash in. Not yeah. that I not that anything I do cashes in <laughs> <laughs> at all. But I've, yeah, I've had I've had a, a couple of people come up and say, and I'm and, and getting back to the RuPaul's Drag Race thing. You know, that was a quite an, like, like my, my last pa- partner Kaya who I find myself talking about in interviews quite a lot because she was such an influence on me um, in terms of God in so many ways like uh, the difference between micro macro aggressions and oh God yeah, I could go on about all the, all the all the ways that my vocabulary was was uh, uh, you know Awful, right up to the age I was thirty-one, with without the intention of being damaging to people. But right. you know, these certain uses of words that, in my my opinion, meant nothing. And then you know, but anyway. So she introduced me to RuPaul's Drag Race, and then I became fascinated with this what I considered a legitimate art form. And this power struggle between these the old the old queens, yeah. the old lizers, the big you know, the big ladies, and then these new kind of androgynous. Um, you know, high high end model uh, drag queens and this big, and and it was. Um, I was watching this show, and what I love about that show is all most of the most of the um, the people on it have have the most tragic stories of 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 um, intolerance that they've experienced by their own families, and and then and and I just was so moved by it so I, I never felt like I needed to approach my you know who I want to you know where I want to put my thing you know um, sorry to the listeners I pointed at my crotch when I said that um, 
but it was about it was a, and I, and I I realized that actually you know predominantly my my audience is probably men of white middle class or white working class men of of my age yeah who who some of my best friends still speak in a way that I find challenging you know and and I see people singing that song you know I see white men who typically well, you know, let's be honest. You were in London, fair yeah. enough. It's a different place, but up north, that's not a, it's not something you're confronted with. I don't think uh, all that much. And I don't yeah, mean to. I, mean, I don't, I don't know, mean to. I live, in, I live in Essex, so right. Okay, you know. so it might be the same. I don't know. I've never been there, thankfully. Um, <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, you know, to see to see, you know, and I think there's some of my finer lyrics as well. I look, the the one of the few lyrics that I don't mind saying, you know, I think that's a good, most of what I do is just banging on about my life, which is the life of a very privileged middle-class white man, you know? And that's something, like I'm not doing the, the white guilt or trying to, you know, trying to appear woke or, you know, like for the sake of it, it's just... I've I've um, been shown this world in the last three or four years that I was completely blind to, and it's really shook me just how how how. That's why that is, and that's why the internet's good, you know. And that is yeah. why Twitter is good. You get to see these things that you never saw. Um, but yeah, that's. But I love that song, and I love seeing people sing it, and I love. There's a there's an artist in Liverpool. Young lad, who um, I'm not sure how he identifies. We never had the conversation, but he made a point of coming up to me face to face, saying, "You know, thanks for that." And yeah, and that—that's when it feels good. You know, that's when it feels positive. Yeah. You're listening to Q presents the making of. Are you always writing? Um. Yeah, I'm always trying to. It comes in. It's it's a like it's a funny thing. You most if it's get in truth, it's getting harder. I find myself. I found it easier to write ten years ago than I do now. Um, Why is that? I mean, the, the, the hard questions to answer. That it's probably a combination of things. I think I had no other release ten years ago. Um, I. I I lived solely. I had no one listening. I was desperate for people to hear. I was doing things to try and get people's attention, and they weren't working. Talking about your parents and your friends, and you know, and people are listening now. Um, and like you know, all those things I mentioned before. I wonder how much more the world need someone like me or what you know do I need to can can is there a new way I can tell my story new things aren't happening I'm in therapy who wants to hear about that maybe they do I swim every day that that could be a good song <laughs> you know what I mean I look forward to Tuesdays because I play football at seven o'clock at night yeah but a lot of your songs are <laughs> about the mundanities it's like I said before you know they are big issues but yeah but framed it's, in the sort of yeah, everyday living but you can only you know yeah but it's you know if there's a 
I think it takes a more talented person than me to make Tuesday night at football um, even remotely kind of relevant or interesting. But we'll see. I'm always writing. I've always got things on the go. I'm up. Fortunately, I'm forever having my heart broken, and that's a story that will always want to be heard. Yeah. Just whether I can be bothered singing about it for much longer, I don't know. But yes, it's the the the, 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 the answer to the question is yeah, I'm always writing. But it works. It works like this. My manager calls it a marination period. It's a phrase I hate, but is is very true. Um, you just kind of it's like a big mess. You know, sometimes like you're cooking, and you're like, I'm making, you're making like a bolognese or something. You're like, I doesn't really taste that right. I put some salt in, oh, it's too much salt. I guess I'll put some sugar in, and oh god. And then by the end of it, like you've had marmite. And I don't want to try sauce. your bolognese. No, well, you have not been invited, so don't. <laughs> let's not jump the gun. But um, sometimes you end up with this big mess of a thing, and then sometimes. And then sometimes you don't, and I guess I'm in I'm in I'm in that place now where I'm trying things out, I'm 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 piecing things together. I'm... Songwriting for me is a lot of reflection these days. They used to just kind of happen, you know. I think it's songs like Lemon Trees and um, particularly my second record. Those songs more or less were from start to end were written within a week each. Do you know right. what I mean? Now we're talking, we're talking months to get from something like Mither. Mither was actually quite quick, but there were songs on the records that, like John, for example, and No One's Trying to Kill You. I it was six months working on those songs. You know, not every day, but picking yeah. them up and bit. You know, so um, so yeah. What was it about Yawn that made you want to revisit those songs and rework them for for the new record? Yawn a yawn. Oh, um, <clears throat> I, I still haven't found a good answer for this, really. I, I, I mean, the truth is, I had a, I had a, I had a day off, and I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna try and slip them out on my band camp and make a few quid behind my record labels back. <laughs> 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 and um, I showed me manager, and she was like, "Ah, probably shouldn't do that." anymore <laughs> um, and we, we played them to them and they were like oh you know Lawrence at Domino is always he's never publicly said it or even privately said it to me but I think he misses he misses the piano on my record right. and um, and there's also you know one of my favourite writers writers one of my favourite writers Mark Gazellick made this record of like American standards just him and the piano and I listen to it a lot and I think it's just about the most uncool thing you can do. Um, it's just sit at a piano. And when I pl- play the piano, it's I'm like, it's like someone trying to do meatloaf, but really badly. Like, I really over it. I try and play it like I can play the guitar, like embellish, and I'm really not good enough. Um, and I just found it quite funny. And then they just said, oh, I would like to stick this out. And... Um, and it kind of just snowballs from there, you know. And then, so you know, and you think, oh, do I want to do that? And then someone says, oh, well, you know, if you do that and you do a tour, you don't have to take a band. You'll probably make a couple of quid in time for Christmas. You know, it's reality. You know, yeah. not everything is like artistic decision. I mean, going back to when Lawrence first contacted you, 
before If. Yeah. At that point, did you um, think that your music career was over? Oh, I, I, yeah, I was out. I checked out and sold most of my equipment and started started university and yeah, I was completely completely done done with music. Yeah. And was it as simple as that phone call pulled you back in, or he was it? He'd heard a few demos. <clears throat> yeah, he'd. Because you just came back with such a bold debut album in terms of an orchestral you instrumental. You've got to understand, though, I was, that was, like, I left the band in 2008, 2009. I had a very serious dissociative episode that lasted six months. It was the most confused and the most hellish time I've ever had. It's what forced me to leave university. The build-up to it I didn't know at the time was what forced me to leave the coral. Um, it was a mu- it was a friend actually, a, a wonderful lad called Jay Mile. He was from from up by our ways. Who knew knew Lawrence through the Arctic Monkeys and all that. And he in passing had, he called me and said, "Oh, I spoke to Lawrence Bell and I told him that you want to make soundtracks." I was like, <laughs> "Right, okay." I'd I'd, I'd I'm just trying to remember the order this all went in. Someone I know when I dropped out of university and I had like 400 quid, you know. And I'd been out of the band for a year and I didn't know what paying taxes was or anything like that. I couldn't get hold of my old bandmates or my management or, or the record company that was supposed to still be signed to it. You know, I was completely dropped by, by, by everyone because I was in hand, you know, hands up, a bit of a nuisance at the time. Um. And a friend who's no longer a friend, I can't stress that enough, asked me for some music for a short film he was making and I had some some old stuff. And I just started just have it, you know. Put it together. Lawrence heard it. Jay told him that I wanted to make soundtracks. I was like, okay, do I? I mean that was always the dream, but Now you're faced with the reality that you might well, have to make one. Yeah, well so, no, he phoned me. If I remember, I was in my, I was living in Hoylake with my ex-girlfriend and my best friend, and my ex-ex-girlfriend, and he phoned up and said, um, I've heard these songs on MySpace and I hear you want to make soundtracks. And I was like, who gave you my number? <laughs> kind of thing, you know, <laughs> like, who are you? He's like, oh, we met, we met in Paris, something like this. And I was like, all right. Um, and he was like, you know, do you want to maybe make a record for us? Um, I was like, um, I, I was, I remember, you know, I knew I had like a four grand tax bill that my mother was desperately trying to like get the money together for. And so what are you going to do? You know, I did not want to be in music. I definitely didn't want to make music. And he's like, well, come down for a meeting. At this point, I'm agoraphobic. Technically monophobic. I couldn't do anything on my own. Being outside my flat was very, very challenging. So we paid for a friend of mine to drive me to London, down to Wandsworth, for a meeting with him, where I cried at him and told him not to give me any money. <laughs> it took such a wreck. Um, but it's funny, you know, you got to laugh. Don't want people crying or, you know, worrying about us. And he, and, he, and he was so sweet about it. What he said is, we don't want to put any pressure on you, so instead of offering you a record deal, we'll offer you a publishing deal. So you can just take this money, 
won't tell you how much, but it was enough to stop me from having to move back in with my mum. Yeah. And off the back of that generosity, um, I was moved so deeply. Um, well, in that in that meeting, he said, "You know, have got any idea about what you what you want to do?" And I said, "Nah." And he says, "What about like an imaginary film?" I was like, "I think that's been done loads, hasn't it?" And he was like, "Has it?" He was like, "Yeah, definitely, that's been done. Don't like that idea." I was like, "But I am reading this book, so maybe I could write some music about the book." And he went, "How does that work?" And I went, "Well, it's your like, that's your problem, you know. I'll write, I'll write." what I think the book says in music. He was like, I oh, will do some demo. So I went home a different person, you know. From that, driving back up with Dean, Dean Rivera, great bass player, who drove me down. Went back a different person, was like, okay, I'm... And I was still very... It was before my diagnosis, before I got my tablets, before, I, you know, I was still completely out of it. And I just decided that that was what I was going to do and and I listened back to it and you know my toes curl a little bit it sounds a lot like a um someone who who's not quite qualified to do something that they're they're doing and and failing but you know it touched it touched people and it brought brought um, me to their attention or whatever I mean there's so much more to that story but I'm I'm, I'm aware that I'm just just you just opened the valve now and I'm just <laughs> talking about myself non-stop. That's why I'm here. It is. You don't yeah. me talking. Yeah. When are you um, when are you happiest now? When am I happiest now? I mean I've just I've just spent a week of of, of genuine happiness up in up in Lake Muskoka, up in Canada, in nature, swimming in this lake every day, surrounded by artists who, who love and care for me and you know, ten miles away from the nearest pub. Um, but uh, when am I when am I happiest? When I've written something good, you know, I like sniffing my own farts in that sense of like if I write a decent verse. It's a beautiful metaphor. It's it's the closest thing, like you know, you know, you walk around with this verse. You've written a line that works that no one else has ever written before. That you've born, and it's good or a clean melody, or helping someone achieve something and then being proud of it I listened today to the masters of a record I've made with um, an incredibly talented um, songwriter called Brooke Bentham um, we co-wrote a few songs on her record and I produced it and mixed it and it's, I, I didn't mix it rather engineered it, it's been mixed and mastered. listening back to that this morning was, was quite uh, quite something it's not happiness, it's pride yeah. the two are interchangeable you know what I can answer this whenever I see a dog just whenever a dog comes up to me that is the happiest and that's the happiest anyone can be and anyone says other oh, is either a liar or um, spawn of Satan <laughs> do you feel like a different person when you're producing other artists rather than doing your own stuff no I don't, um, well I don't know you're just you're a different person every day, aren't you? I think when I'm producing other people, there's responsibility. I'm very proud of that people want to come and work with me. We just had Suds, great band called called Suds, kind of Peterborough way. 
And I texted Soph Nathan from Our Girl because they're such huge Our Girl fans that they were like, oh, who produced them? And I only did that record two years ago, something right. like that. And now bands are coming up to work with me off the back of that. And I texted and I was like, hey, that's amazing, isn't it? Like, that, I'm blown away by that, so you must be, like, pretty buzzing about yeah, that. Yeah. Then the next day the band came in and went, have you spoken to Sophie from, we are, from Our Girl? I was like, yeah, I texted last night. And I was like, they followed us on Instagram. <laughs> and, you know, things like that. And you go, ah, but um, totally went off piece. Uh, yeah, I am, I am different when I'm, when I'm producing other people. With my, I'm, I'm way more critical of myself because I'm a 36-year-old, you know? If I had a 36-year-old in um, the studio, I would, I, would, I would expect him to make music that was appropriate to him. A lot of the groups that I work with are considerably younger than me. So I don't... Part of the charm, part of what I think my job is when I'm producing groups in their 20s or artists in their 20s is to tell them you're all right sounding like you're that old. Yeah. Your drums don't have to be perfect. You don't have to... It doesn't have to... If, it, if you want it to be that, that's fine. But um, I, I try and... I think your job when you're dealing with people who are that young is to enable them to create whatever they want. Whereas when I'm working on myself, I'm just, it's more like finding the biggest, shittiest stick you can and knocking yourself senseless with it until you come up with something good. And then when you come up with 30 seconds of something good, then you can have a gin and tonic. For the next six hours. <laughs> yeah. It is, it's true though. You know, it really is true. It's um it's a very lovely and arduous process having your own studio and writing songs about yourself and legitimizing every afternoon off you spend in the beer garden, you know. It's a tough life. It sounds it. It's really, really, really hard. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, it's very tough. Are you okay? <laughs> Yeah, I'm all right. Well, that's the story. I'm not prepared to tell you the other side of the story. You know, the other side of this life. That's the one that we're. T that's the one we're talking about today. Because I'm in a good mood. I'm glad you, you're in a good mood. Yeah. What are you like in a bad mood? You would fucking wouldn't want to know. Honestly, I'm best. A misery, at best. Imagine Morrissey, but a bigger prick. <laughs> Less racist. Right, <laughs> but. As as cantankerous and uh, argumentative. Um, how how often does Angry Bill raise his head? Um, how often? Rarely these days. It's not really anger, you know. It's um, I'm in a good place. That's the most important thing. I'm doing things to stop me from doing things. That's good, you know. But uh, no, I don't. I'm not. A, I'm not a violent person at all I, I I I I get wound up like everyone does yeah with injustice and bullies I fucking hate bullies so that gets me into a bit of trouble but other than that I'm um, other than that things are good you know I go to work I work with artists I go home and I walk through a park, park, and feed ducks, or I walk the long way round, past the past the, the, the water, 
make myself some something to eat and either play computer games or play my guitar or read a book um, or watch some crap on telly and for the most part I'm quite happy with that you know I mean it could be a bit lonely but I'm not here to moan today I'm not in that I'm not in I'm not in you know I'll talk about the sadness behind the songs but my my life is 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 comparatively fucking brilliant compared to a lot of people I know you know so yeah we move on from that I'd appreciate that hello my name is Bill Ryder Jones and you are listening to Q presents the making of so to finish up did you ever read smash hits um I remember seeing it but no I did not did not read smash it. Hang on, when when, when what year is this? What nineties? Smash it! Like it's like yeah. a eighties and a pop thing yeah. though, and it was like like they used, it was they like used to have, and all that kind of stuff. They used to have a biscuit tin of questions. Okay, which I like uh, where this is which going we've already. Ripped off. <laughs> Obviously, we haven't got a biscuit tin yet. Right, we've only been doing this uh, this podcast well for about that. six months, right, right, yeah. <laughs> but we will get a biscuit tin at some point. Okay, but what I'd like you to do is to d- dip your hand in here. And pick out a question from our jiffy envelope. Alright. It's not like that popcorn in the cinema kind of thing. There's not going to be a hole in the bottom of this. <laughs> Bill? No, there's not. Need a smaller jiffy envelope. Uh, I was going to say this. <laughs> it's definitely a cocktail sausage in here somewhere. <laughs> right, what have we got? Would you rather would you rather be thirty feet tall or thirty inches tall? Uh no. That's my answer. What do you mean no? It's an all <laughs> question. Yeah, I know. And I'm gonna say no. Uh, no, no, I'm no they're all gonna be as daft as this. I can answer this. I'm not gonna be that guy who refuses to answer the question. You already said no. What, uh, what, no, I <laughs> no, I was I was being hilarious. Enjoy me. <laughs> I'm so tired of telling people I'm hilarious. This fucking country. Right, we'll edit that out as well. Wish I could edit out it. <laughs> uh, would you rather be thirty feet tall or thirty inches tall? Right, thirty feet, thirty feet tall would be great. It would be impossible to do anything. You couldn't. You couldn't go for a swim. You couldn't really get for to, a swim in the sea. What? What? Because you're thirty feet tall, you're not going to freeze to death. This is ridiculous. You've got you. Please, at least think about the questions before you make me answer them. Idiot. I'm joking. 30, I'm going to say 30 inches tall. Um, I could get up to some really weird shit if I was only 30 inches tall. Like looking up, looking underneath dogs' asses and weird shit like that. Am I going again? Oh, right, do I get more than one? Yeah. You didn't like that answer then, did you not? Right, I can, no, get, we'll do, we'll do I can get weirder. This is good. If you had to, we, you know what, this, this is great, because we did this on the, on the tour bus the other day. Uh, uh, so if you had to invite four people, living or dead, to your dream dinner party, who would you choose? Um, and for some reason, our, our bass player picked um, Jasper Carrot. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> like, the least funny man ever to have been on the telly. It was really, it was really, and he, he was deadpan, he was like, um, Che Guevara, Bootsy Collins, maybe Jasper Carrot. Everyone was like, Yeah, I mean, he is a bass player, so they are, and that's a bit weird. Uh, Invite four people, living or dead, to your dream dinner party. Who would you choose? 
Um, shall I be serious? Why not? Um, I've just remembered that my my best friend told me if I put in an Alan Partridge reference, he'd buy me a pint. And they had this on an Alan, episode of Alan Partridge. And I can do full Alan Partridge references here, and that could be four pints. Uh, but no, right, I'm going to be serious. Who would I like? Who would I like to speak? Uh, Leonard Cohen. I'd like, I'd like Leonard Cohen there because um, I think he's fit. He was fit, and I'd, I'd like to. I found it very interesting. I'm going to make me sound very highbrow with the first two. Christopher Hitchens. Love to know why he uh, turned his back on us and got behind the Iraq War. And the last two will have to be funny. Um, let's have. Oh, I'd love to ask Alan Sugar why he's such a twat. <laughs> And the last one, Jesus. There's your Alan Partridge one. But I'm sure the Alan Partridge one, when, when Alan Partridge got to, got to pick, or the Steve Coogan, Alan Partridge, he went, Margaret Thatcher, Dennis Thatcher, <laughs> Carol Thatcher, and Mark Thatcher, and Jesus. <laughs> it's great, though. Well, what would you make them? Huh? What would you make them? What, the Thatchers? Well, you no. cyanide. <laughs> it were if I needed to. Um, what would I make them? Um, what would I make? What would I do? That bolognese. No, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, Jesus, how do, how do you make this? What do, what do I make Jesus? Well, he does, you know, it doesn't matter because he wasn't even living or dead. He could make it and turn up with um, a pot noodle and turn it into a um, roast dinner for us, couldn't he? <laughs> the clever bugger. Yeah, one more. One more? All right, okay. Do you have a foolproof hangover cure? Yeah, don't drink. Next. What do you consider the most overrated virtue? Um, modesty. We're going to get through all of them, like, the rate he's going at. It's all right. I'm just, I've got nothing else to do today. What's the one thing that would instantly improve your quality of life? Christ. Um, he's already at your dinner parties. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Um, a reduction in my sexual magnetism would be very helpful. If you don't laugh, it makes it sound like I'm just being big-headed. I'm being funny. I am laughing. Are you scared of going bald? Petrified. If I go bald, you'll never see me again. That, uh, that will never... Uh, you can't be a... Uh, oh, this, this is... like a... This is a biscuit tin bonanza. What is your greatest regret? Oh, um, I'm trying to be light. I should have asked Claire Denning out in primary school. Right. I should have. I should have done it. Do you ever bump into her? Uh, uh, every Christmas on Facebook when I'm pissed, <laughs> <laughs> she gets a message. <laughs> I know you had a kid at sixteen, but I'd still take you back. That right, kind last of thing. one. Yeah. Really. I reckon. Ooh. What is it? If you were reincarnated, what would you come back like to come back as? Um, Steve Irwin, good man. Did, yeah. did look like he was always happy. Ended in quite a funny way. Yeah, not much more. Thank you so much for coming in. <laughs> nice. Um, thank you to producer Sue 
And thank you to you, the listener, for listening. Uh, please remember to rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Planet Radio, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Thank you very much. This thank has you. been another episode of Q Presents The Making Of. Hello, this is Bill Ryder-Jones, and you're listening to Q... Pre- no. Hello, this is... Mm. Hello, this is Bill Ryder-Jones, and you are just spat on the paper. Hello, this is Bill Ryder-Jones, and you are listening to the... I'm losing it. I'll slow it down. Hello, this is Bill... No. Hello, this is Bill Ryder-Jones, and you are listening to Q Presents The Making Of.